The dramatic distant work of Joy Division endures as one of rock and roll's most challenging curiosities. Forming in the wake of England's punk rock explosion, Joy Division were known for a few minutes as the Stiff Kittens, for a few months as Warsaw, and for an eternity as the authors of spectral anthems like Love Will Tear Us Apart, Transmission, and the sonorous Atmosphere. Their beginnings aren't particularly extraordinary, but the band's furious evolution over the course of just three years is testament to a fearless imagination, purposeful single-mindedness, and innovative spirit as potent as any in the history of popular music. The daring of Jim Morrison and Iggy Pop pointed up Rock's ability to challenge more than just a concert hall audience. Young New Yorkers embraced their abandon and found freedom in a sneering disregard for deluded, detached pop stars. Frustrated by malaise and by America's bipolar post-war conservatism and paranoia, a tattered, bowery-bred poetry of futility flowered in the mid-1970s. Andy Warhol's factory band, The Velvet Underground, had split, but their depressed anthems provided a much darker template for rock and roll, inspiring Richard Hell, The New York Dolls, and, more directly, television. But it was the all-energy Ramones, with their leather jackets, dirty jeans, and postmodern rock and roll irony that came to define punk in the popular consciousness. The sped-up, zoned-out Beach Boys and Ronettes covers on their self-titled debut album arrived in the UK in 1976 and acted as an instruction manual for both the Sex Pistols and The Clash. But the Ramones' tongue-in-cheek, way-o-pop, had grave implications when mixed with politics and screamed in British dance halls, where there was literally no future to hope for. Punk rock instantly divided England, simultaneously identifying and embodying the nation's economic failure. Armed with outrage and their minder, Malcolm McLaren, the blushing brats and the Sex Pistols hastened to celebrate ideological anarchy. As Todd Rundgren succinctly put it in the documentary series The History of Rock and Roll, their cash from chaos ethos fanned from spark to inferno because England was A, much more fashion-conscious than America, and B, poor. With nothing to lose, they had everything to gain. The future members of Joy Division were raised in a decaying industrial landscape of vacant chemical plants and mild to severe poverty, and though the Sex Pistols were equally, if not more, impoverished, in London they had access to a social network of wealthy backers. Their metropolitan locus lent them a sense of urgency, the sustaining center-of-the-universe belief that what they were doing could change their world. Excluding low-grade celebrity supporter Tony Wilson, the players in Joy Division's story lived relatively disconnected lives in Manchester, a city that bred self-sustenance and pride as virtues. To Mancunians, what went on in London was fit for critique, not sacrosanct. The very first London punk groups overcame this ingrained doubt thanks to fury, originality, and bombast. Before infamy would taint their initially untouched, anarchic light, the Pistols brought hope to audiences the same way their predecessors had in America. Their obnoxious, exuberant deconstruction of rock and roll inspired peers who would create even more remarkable music. Like many anecdotes in this famous story, it's endlessly retold that Peter Hook bought a bass guitar for 35 pounds the day after the Sex Pistols' fabled June 4, 1976 concert at the Manchester Free Trade Hall, having no idea how to play it. 
Though we still marvel at the noise he made with the instrument, the tale endures not only because of his work in Joy Division, but because it underscores an event so significant, it not only introduced the Factory Records biopic 24-Hour Party People, it spawned its own book, I Swear I Was There, later adapted for a Granada TV documentary. Approximately 42 people were at the Pistols' first Manchester Free Trade Hall gig, though thousands would later claim attendance. It was absolutely bizarre, the most shocking thing I have ever seen in my life, recalled Hook in the New Music Express. Included in the spotty crowd, Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook, their future manager Rob Gretton, sound engineer and fledgling producer Martin Hannett, Manchester's Granada television reporter Tony Wilson, and his then-best mate, actor Alan Erasmus.